Okay, um, as believers, we want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. When we stand before our Savior Jesus Christ, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we realize that we are set apart ones, we who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're set apart with the greatest privilege and responsibility to be God's representatives. Second Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. So we're beginning this study we call the 2-2. And by the way, this is sort of new. I've never used the slides before. In fact, a person that took the 2-2 and then went somewhere else and was teaching the 2-2 and decided that they would make slides. And he sent them to me and said, do you like these slides? Would you, you know, want them? And I said, well, yeah, I've never used slides, so I'm not used to using slides, so we're going to use slides. I think it'll be a lot of fun. You can see things better, and the answers will be up there. And let me just say this. If, if we're teaching and you missed the answer or you're not sure what I said or whatever, be sure, and just stop me, and, and we'll, we'll go through that. So let's start, and, and we're thinking about this study, and this study um, is, let me go backwards. There we go. This study is the Second Timothy 2.2, 2, and I want you to notice it's based on the fact that it says, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses <clears throat> entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I want you to think about this. He's really saying, here's Paul, and Paul is writing to Timothy, which is, you know, his sort of his younger guy. And Paul says, look, I've been teaching you things. And Paul says, Timothy, the things I've taught you in the presence of many others, you teach faithful people who will be able to teach others. And so when you look at this, our goal is that we're getting taught and we're then passing it on to somebody else who will be able to pass it on to, to somebody else. And so even in this little verse, there are four different People that you see, Paul to Timothy, Timothy is going to teach faithful people, faithful people to be able to teach others. And that's what we're doing. The goal is that you're not taking this class just to say, okay, I, I learned a lot. I got this, I got this, I got this. The goal is that what you're learning is you're wanting to find someone else that you can pass these truths on to. It might be that you get, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten lessons in this thing, and then you can get some people and start meeting with them and taking them through it. Or you might till the whole class is over and do it. But the goal is that you would take truths from the Bible that you learn and pass them on to others. That's why he says these things that you've heard from me in the presence of many ways, you entrust. And the trust means to deposit. Deposit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One of the things you've got to think about is some people say things like, but I'm not a teacher. Some people have the gift of teaching, but most people don't. But that doesn't mean that you're not, able to, you're not able to communicate what you believe to others. Every one of us, whether you have gift of teaching or not gift of teaching, you should be able to take the things you know and entrust those, help other people understand them. So we're going to talk about our purpose. What, why, are we, why are we having this class and, and the purpose of this? It is to gain an understanding of basic truths of God's Word. And as we look at that, we're going to see how the Bible fits together. I want to. I want you to think with me for just a few minutes, okay? Let's talk about what we need to know. And it's not just saying I want to know the Bible. Think about this. First of all, we need to know facts. Because if I said, uh, how many books are there in the Bible? Or if I said, how many books are in the New Testament? Or who was the first king of Israel? Who was the second king of Israel? Um, who, you know, how, how does this fit? How, how many missionary journeys did Paul go on? So truthfully, you need to know facts from the Bible. So that you can be ready. The second thing is you need to know the books. 
And then when I say books, when I, we're talking about gaining understanding the Bible, if I said, what is the book of Romans about? Now, let me tell you this. I can ask you a question now, and everybody in this room should get it. And if I said, what, why, what is the gospel of Matthew about? What does the gospel of Matthew teach us? What is it? That Jesus Christ is what? He's the king. We've been doing that for weeks and weeks and weeks on Sunday morning, and I do it on purpose. Every Sunday I say, now, Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. So you know that. But what if I said, what's the book of Romans about? What's the book of Galatians about? What's First and Second Samuel about? What's the book of Revelation about? So what's you know? So you would be able to say, well, the book of Romans is about this, and this is how you divide it. The book of Galatians is this. When Paul wrote First Thessalonians, he wrote them to talk about this. When Paul wrote First Corinthians, it was about this. First and Second Samuel deal with Saul and David and Solomon and those kind of things, so that you would gain an understanding. So we should do that. The third thing we need to understand is timeline. And that's why the first five lessons all deal with the Bible and how the Bible fits together, Old Testament, New Testament timeline. Because if I said, where does David fit in the whole thing? Or who came first, Saul or Solomon? Or when, when do we think that the flood might have happened? Or when was David the king? Or how do the end-time events fit together? Now, we've, done, we've gone over end-time events so much that... Most everybody could be able to do that. But that's the kind of things we want to know as far as the, the timeline. And then another thing we need to know is what I call theology. And when you say theology, that sounds deep. But theology just means, theos means God, logos means word. Theology is just words about God. Theology is is how truths and principles from the Bible, such as inspiration and justification and the gospel and how the Christian life fits and attributes of God's and all of those kind of things. So we're going to learn theology. In fact, this whole study, all these 28 lessons, they're really theology. So when you get through, you're going to say, I've got an understanding of how the Scripture fits together. And then the last thing is history. And when we say history, not just history that's the Bible history, but history concerning the church as a whole. I mean, we all know that if you look at the book of Acts, that's the first 30 years of the church. After that, that's it. And we say, well, what about, what, what about when, when did the Bible get put together? Uh, when, what, was the, what was the Reformation that people talk about? What was the church like in the Middle Ages? And, and so we just want you to be able to have an idea to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in us. So that's our purpose, is to gain an understanding of the basic truths of God's Word, learn how the Bible fit together. And then our goal is that you would be able to pass these truths to others and make disciples. We all know that the purpose of our church is to make disciples. That's evangelism and training, leading people to Christ and training them and equipping them. And that's what we want to do. We want to lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. And so there's a lot. And the old saying that I do is when I look at this right here, I, I put it this way, be taught and teach others. That's the plan. Paul said to Timothy, take what I've taught you, teach these people, and they'll teach these people. So be taught and teach others. And so as we go through this class, we're going to be teaching each other so that we can turn around and teach others. That's, that's really the plan. So we want to follow. As you look at your handout there, your book, it says we, got to, we want to follow the example of Ezra. And, and if you remember, the Ezra was a scribe. And after the captivity, uh, Ezra came back to help build uh, you know, the the the, t the temple. And so that's why he came back. Ezra, and look what it says about Ezra here. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord 
and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, this is what Ezra's purpose in his life. And I want you to understand that this needs to be our purpose. And let me show you what I mean. Look at this. Ezra set his heart to do what? To study the Word of God. That's why we've come together as believers on a Wednesday night to study the Word of God so we can know it. Now, Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, most many of you have heard of him. He was probably, I think, I think he's one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time. And he would get guys in a class, and when you'd go into class, you'd sit there and he'd start talking, and you just, all of a sudden, you look up and the time is up, and you'd go, Class is already over? And he was so great. And he would always start off by saying, Okay, men, what is the purpose of the study of the Word of God? And people would say, To know it. And he'd say, Wrong. The purpose of the study of the Word of God is to know it so you can what? Make application. Because see, knowledge by itself does what? Puffs up. So we want to know it so we can practice it. Look what Ezra said. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to what? Practice it. That means to live it out. That means to take the truths and principles. And if we say that the Bible says don't lie, that means our goal is to not lie. We want to live out the scripture. But that's not all. Because notice, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to do what? And to teach the word of God. To teach its statutes and ordinances. So what if all of us in this room, we decided that we're going to study the Bible. We're going to dig it. We're going to understand it, and then we're going to start living it out. We're going to practice it. We're going to make application in our lives. And with the goal of that, eventually, as we begin to know it and apply it, to pass it on, to take the Word of God and to teach it to other people. So this is how it all starts. And so we're saying we want to take the truths and pass them on to others. We want to study it. We want to know it and apply it. Uh, know it so we can apply it so we can pass it on. Now, there's a number of things, and <clears throat> if you notice at the bottom of page one, it says we want to help you to prepare to know and apply the Scripture by doing some things. And one is to give you teaching information. We've had all these lessons. We've got quizzes. Listen, I know that even if you say, well, I don't want to take the course for credit, I challenge you to go ahead and do the quizzes anyway. Because it'll make you study. Because if you got a quiz, you got to study it. Because and, and let me just tell you this. I always tell you what to study. And no secrets here. I want you to know something. So I'm not going to just say, well, you got a quiz over chapter 1. I'm going to actually tell you what the quiz is. I've, I've got the quiz right here. I've got some things at the very end to tell you what to know. And so you can study it and make 100. In fact, if you study and don't make 100, something's wrong. Because think about taking a what have you, how many of you went to class and your professor said, okay, you got a quiz when you come in. Here's question number one for next week. Question two, three, four, five. Do you think you could take those questions, study them, understand it, and make a hundred? Probably. Well, my goal is not to trick you. My goal is to tell you here's some good things to know, so let's know them. And when you get through, you'll say, I know that. I, I got it. So we're going to give you teaching information uh, with, uh, to memor memorizing verses and quizzes and all that kind of thing. The second thing is we've got handouts and charts. It, it, you I hadn't had time, and I don't want you to even think about it tonight. But in this book, at, and at the end of most lessons, there's all kind of charts and handouts and things that help you, that will help you put things together. And I think you're going to like that as well. And then at the end, there are some books and bibliographies at the end of each of the sections 
there's a bibliography. Like if it's a, if we're dealing with end times, there's books about end times. If we're dealing with the Bible, there's books about the Bible. If we're, if we're dealing with God, there's books about God. So I'm giving you just all kind of things. Now, you can use whatever you want, as much as you want, as little as you want. If you use a lot of stuff, I mean, you're going to gain a lot of information. If you don't, well, I mean, you just, you're not going to gain as much, but it's going to, I mean, there's a lot there. So let's get started into the study. And we're going to start with the Bible. And when we talk about the Bible, we believe, and let me just say this, and I do this in membership training, uh, we believe the Bible is God's perfect word. It is in an errand, it is, it is alive and powerful, sharpening to it is a sword. God has revealed himself to us, and we can have a knowledge and understanding of the word. Now, we can't know everything, because God is an infinite God, and we're finite. But but we need to understand the Bible. And so as believers, our whole authority and everything we do is the Word of God. You've, hear, you've heard me say this before, but I'd say that in a lot of churches, there's three, three ways that pastors do things. Some pastors just talk. I mean, and some of them are really good speakers. They get up and they talk, and people go, that was a good talk. But they just talked. And then some pastors talk about the Bible. They actually talk about the Bible. They might read a verse, and then they talk about the Bible, or they talk about this. And then the third one is, some pastors teach the Bible. I think we're supposed to teach the Bible. I think when you look through the Scripture, Paul says, take it and teach it. Paul says in, in um, one of the books that he writes that he talks about, that when you come together, have the public reading, public teaching of the Word of God. So I think our role, I think my role, especially on a Sunday morning or any time we come together, is to teach the Bible. It's not to tell you good stories and everything. Sometimes there may be a good story or something, but the goal is to teach the Word of God so you can know it. And so that's why I think that, that the, when we talk talking about the Bible, and so let's think about an overview of the Bible and realize that God has revealed himself to us in three ways. Have you ever thought about this? Our perfect God, who is all-powerful and created everything and everything, has revealed himself to us. And how has he done it? Well, the first way is Romans chapter 1 verse 20. You, you should have that. And it says this, for since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. He actually says from the creation of the world, and let me put that down here, here God has revealed himself through the world, through the creation. His eternal power, his Godhead, his divine nature, it's clearly seen by the things that have been made. We can go outside, we can get a telescope, and we can look out and we can see stars, and it gets further and further. And the more you go out, the more amazing it is we can just look around and see the sun and the moon and the other and then we can get a microscope and we can start going deeper and deeper and the more you go the more you realize it's there and you keep going oh my gracious and when you look at this creation you say wow it is it is beyond comprehension so god has revealed himself through this world through this creation and he actually says that people without excuse if they were to say well i didn't know anything about him he said you knew about my creation and you could see who i was from the creation and we'll talk more about that some other time. But that's one way. He's revealed himself to us through the, the world. The second way is through the, through the Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, so that, here's the purpose, so that the man of God may be adequate, that means mature, equipped for every good work. And he says, God has revealed himself through Scripture. In fact, you could put it down this way. It's through the written word, the Bible reveals God's plans and purposes. Well, I want you to think about it. The Scripture is inspired. It means God breathed. We'll talk more about that later on uh, this evening. We'll talk about that. All Scripture is inspired, and it's profitable. It's for our benefit, and it's for our benefit for it teaches us, it shows us where we're wrong. It shows us how to get right. It shows us how to stay right. That's what the Scripture does. And so God has revealed himself through the Scripture. And let's just be honest. How do you know about Jesus? How do you know about David? How do you know about how you're to live? How do you know that the, what's the, the purpose of the church? How do we know that? We go back to the what? What do we go back to? The, the Word of God, the Bible. So the, God has revealed himself through the Bible. There is a third way that God has revealed himself, and that is in Hebrews 1, 2, says, God, after he spoke long ago through the fathers, in the prophets in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us, he has revealed himself to us in his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So what we see here is that God has spoken through the Son, through the living Word, his Son, Jesus Christ. And I like this because a lot of people say, do you think we're in the last days? You know when the last days started? Started when Jesus, basically, when Jesus died and rose again. He says, he spoke to us long ago, and in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son. So God has revealed himself to us through the creation, through the Bible, and through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, let's just be honest. Uh, there's only so much you can gain about God through the creation. You can see he's a God of order, and he's all-powerful, and he's, he, everything functions and all that thing. And then, if you said, well, I want to learn a lot about Jesus, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. He's seated now at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So the basic place that we're going to be able to gain information about God is how? Through the what? Through the, through the Scripture, through the Word of God. That's why He gave it to us. That's why it's perfect. That's why we have the, for us, we're so fortunate, we have the completed Word of God. I mean, think about Moses. Uh, before God let Moses write down the first five books, there, there is none. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had no scripture, no written scripture. Moses wrote the scripture in four, about 1444. So from Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and all, there was no scripture, no written revelation. So we are so fortunate. We have the written revelation. The Bible is God's revelation. It is the mind of God. It is the Word of God. And, uh, of course, as you go a little further, the, as we continue this, we see that the word Bible, I've got to hear the word Bible comes from the word Biblos, which actually meant papyrus, but later on it just became known as book. So when you talk about the Bible, you're actually saying the book. The Bible is the greatest book. Wouldn't you say it's the greatest book of all time? What's the number one book on the best-selling list right now? Huh? You could say, well, it's Hannity's book. Hannity's is number one on the best song list, isn't it? It's not really. The Bible's not even put on there. The Bible sells more books than any book ever, any time, any day, any month. And so they don't even list it. If they listed it, number one on the best song list would always be the Bible. And then the number two would be what now everybody calls number one. So the Bible is the number one book of all time, the Bible. The Bible, as we think about it, is divided into two major sections. What are they? With Old Testament and 
the New Testament. And you think about it, the Old Testament, really, the word testament is an idea of an agreement. We talk about my last will and testament. This is my testimony. This is what I'm telling you. This is an agreement God made with man before the Messiah. It looks forward. The Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament is the agreement that God made with man after the Messiah. And it really looks back. And that's what you really see. And so you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. We're going to see some neat things in just a few minutes about how it all fits together. But the Old Testament, and we could draw it up like this. Let me just erase this for a second. And I've got a, a, one of the slides in a minute that will show this. But you can really look at Jesus as the center. And the Old Testament is everything is looking forward to the Messiah who's going to come and die and rise again. And then we've got New Testament and everything is looking back to the one who came and died and rose again. And, uh, you know, you've heard me say this. I just want to start to say this. A lot of people, when they say the gospel, they say Jesus died on the cross. That's half the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death and what? Resurrection. Jesus died and rose again. And so we always want to remember that. Um, when we think about the Bible, written by about 40 people over a period of 1,600 years, it is the perfect revelation of God. And it doesn't matter if you go back to Genesis or all the way to Revelation, all the way through. It actually fits together. There are some people that want to say, well, there are a lot of contradictions in the Bible. When somebody says that to you, just ask them to give you one. Most people who say that, they don't know any. I mean, there's some things that look a little funny, but most of the people don't know that. They'll just say, oh, the Bible has a lot of contradictions. I say, really, give me one. And they can't give you any. Uh, you know. And so the bottom line is the Bible is perfect. And we think about it, there was this plan of God. The Father came up with the plan, the Son carried out the plan, and the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. And so what is this plan? What, what is the plan, the central plan and theme of the Bible? You've probably heard me say this many times, but the, the story of the Bible is the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself, back into a relationship with himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now that is the story of the Bible. And you've heard me say this over and over and over again. We teach it on Sunday morning. We've taught it through the 412 and now the 2-2 and all the other different studies that the bottom line, when people say, what's this Bible about? If somebody came to you and said, okay, this is a big old book. Yeah, it is. It's got 66 different books inside of this big book. If somebody said, well, what is this big book about? You could say the big book is about how God brings man to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. And if you go all the way back to Genesis, you start with the fall of man. He fell, and God makes a promise that a Messiah is coming. And the whole story of the Bible is how God used his son to bring man back to himself. That's, that's, that's the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is really reconciliation. I want you to see something. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want you to look at one verse. Most of the verses I'm going to put up there or I'll write them up here, but I just want you to see this verse because what is the story of the Bible? It's actually reconciliation, right? What is this? Perfect God brings man, what? Back to himself, reconciling man to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all these things are from God who did what? Who reconciled us, mankind, to himself... Through Christ, God reconciles man to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, basically 17 through 21, is the most important passage in the Bible teaching 
reconciliation. I think that actually is the story of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. It's the perfect God bringing sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. A question is raised, and I've got it, I think, right here. How is mankind saved? In both Old Testament and New Testament. I remember when I was in college. I trusted Christ. I always thought you had to be good to go to heaven. And I wandered into a Bible study. And I didn't want to go to a Bible study. But I didn't know it was a Bible study. And they shut the door and I couldn't leave. So I heard the message. And I heard the message of Jesus Christ. And I trusted Christ. And that night in fact. And, and, uh, and I had heard people say things like. Well people in the Old Testament were saved by keeping the law. And people in the New Testament were saved by Jesus. And I used to think. That sounds a little bit weird to me because how come in the Old Testament they had to be good, had to keep the law, but in the New Testament is basically Jesus. The truth is that salvation is, is the same in both and salvation is simply by faith. Salvation is always a gift. In John three fourteen through 18, as you know, Moses lived up to the Lord, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. That's The salvation is a gift. And it's all the way through the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. People in the Old Testament were believing in the coming Messiah. They didn't know his name. We're going to show you in a little bit how God narrowed it down so we know who it is. So the people in the Old Testament were saved as they were looking forward to the coming Messiah. They were believing in the one who was going to die for them, the one that was going to crush the head of Satan, the one that was going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They were believing that. And then in the New Testament, we believe in the one. And we actually know his name. He is Jesus of Nazareth. We call him Jesus Christ, which is Jesus the Christ. Jesus is a personal name. Christ is a title. He is Jesus the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. And that means the anointed one of God. And so men were saved in the Old Testament by faith. People were saved in the New Testament by faith. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world. And so when you think about Old Testament and New Testament, you see Old Testament looked forward to the Messiah. New Testament looked back to the Messiah. And it all goes back to the cross. And that's why Paul would always say, if I'm going to glory anything, I'm going to glory in the what? The cross of Jesus Christ. Because that's it. This is, the, this is the, the focal point of everything. God's plan is that his son would die on the cross to pay for sin and rise again to be the savior of the world. That's why we've been talking about Sunday mornings and we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus has now gotten arrested. And he's, about, he's already going through the trials. He's about to be declared uh, you know, guilty, going to turn him over, and he's going to go to the cross. And we're going to see in the next few weeks that while he's on the cross, they're saying things like, come down if you're really the Son of God. If you think you can't save yourself, come down. He can't come down because he is, the cross is the key where Jesus Christ dies and pays for our sin. That That is the key. So let, let's think about, as you go to the top of the next page, let's think about the Bible as a whole. And 66 books, the Old Testament has 39 books, the New Testament has 26 seven books written by kings like David and fishermen and prophets and before we get into it and it's going to be starting next week and the week after that we're going to actually look at the Bible as a whole we're going to look at the Old Testament as a whole we're going to look at the New Testament as a whole we're going to talk about how the Bible was put together and then we're going to get a timeline I'm going to show you that 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 if you know 20 people 20 people you can put the whole Bible together 20 people you can start with Adam and Eve and go all the way to the end. And you, by just knowing 20 people, you can put the whole scripture together. We're going to do that. That's lesson five. And we'll see how that fits together. So when we think about Old Testament and New Testament, before we actually get into that, we need to see uh, some, some really, really, really good truths. And I want to show you something. There are five 
key statements by God announcing the Messiah. Now, what did we say the story of the Bible is? What is it? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. How? Using his son, Jesus Christ. You should have that all memorized. That's the story of the Bible. And so we're going to look at these five key statements among, uh, announcing this Messiah who's going to come. Think through all the Old Testament. The Old Testament is going to announce, here comes the Messiah. That's the key. So we're going to see that. And I've got it at the top of your page. What are the five key statements by God announcing the Messiah? So let me give them to you, and I'm going to give you a chance to write them down because it puts them, puts them all down at once. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the, number, is the first one. We'll go over it more in a minute. Then Genesis 12, 1 through 3. <clears throat> I'll give you a second to, to write them all. And then there's 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. Luke 1, 31 through 33. And then number 5, I'm going to add something to it. On number 5, it's got Matthew 3, 1 through 3. That's good. But also put out there beside that one, by the, put John 1, 29. John 1, 29. Now what you're going to find, this is what I call progressive revelation. Now when you say progressive revelation, that doesn't mean God said something back here and then he changed it up here. Progressive revelation is God continues to add to and give more details, never contradicting anything, but continuing to add. So we're going to see the progressive revelation of the announcement of the Messiah. So let's start with Genesis 3.15, and that is the seed of woman. If you remember that mankind sinned, and Jesus Christ, uh, that God came in the garden, and he told them basically that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's the first promise of a Messiah. The seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The seed of woman is Jesus Christ. We know that. They didn't know that. In fact, Adam and Eve, when, when they said, okay, seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, when they had their first child, they thought, there it is. I mean, God didn't say anything about it taking three or 4,000 years. I mean, they just figured, you know, the, the first one coming is the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. But that's the promise, okay? Then here's the next one. In Genesis 12 is the seed of Abraham. God said, out of all the people in the world, there's, there, I, I, there's going to be a woman that's going to have this Messiah, but it's go, this, this woman is going to be of the seed of Abraham. This one that's coming is going to be of the seed of Abraham, which means a descendant. And Abraham was the first what? Abraham was the first what? Jew. Jew. He's Jewish. So we already know that the Messiah is now going to be born of a woman and born as a Jewish person. Is that right? That's the information. Now we're going to get more. In 2 Samuel, it's going to be the seed of David. You can say son of David if you want to. That means this Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, God said that, you, that you're a greater son, David, will sit on the throne of Israel forever. That means he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior of the world. So now it's seed of woman, going to be a Jew, going to be a descendant of David. And then in Luke, we actually see it's the seed of this woman named Mary. It narrowed it all the way down from any woman to any Jew to any descendant of David now to actually a dis this one that's going to come through Mary. And we know that this Mary, and, and I'm going to give you some more information in just a minute, but this Mary is going to be a virgin who will have the seed of woman, seed of Abraham, seed of David. And then we got one more, 
And that's where, Matt, where John the Baptist is announcing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew 3, he talks about it. He calls Jesus the Lamb. And then in John one twenty nine, the verse I wanted you to write down, G- John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you can see the progressive revelation there. You can see how it fits together. Now let me show you something that is so perfect. See this promise to David and then the promise to Mary. I want you to see something. Oh, by the way, let me, let me show this. Any woman, to any Jew, to David's family, to Mary's child, to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, with that in mind, I want you to see this. This is Second Samuel. This is the promise to David. Notice what it says. In your days, when your days are completed and you lie down with your fathers, he's telling David that. I will raise up your descendants. Somebody's going to come after David who will come forth from you going to be a descendant of David. I will establish his kingdom. He's going to have a kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, that's the promise of the Messiah. So David was told, you're going to have a descendant. He will have, it will be, he'll have a kingdom. He'll build a house. He'll have the throne, and the kingdom be forever. Here is the promise to Mary in 131, and here's what it says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his king will have no end. I want you to notice something. First of all, descendant of David. Look at this one. His, he will establish his kingdom. That's the son. Notice this. He will build a house. He will have the, thr- uh, the reign over the house of Jacob. Notice this when it says he'll have a throne, the throne of his father, David, and last. And he will establish his kingdom of his kingdom that will be no end. The exact words that God told David are the exact same words that God told Mary. Now you understand that there's about a thousand years difference there from the time of David to the time of Mary. So it's so perfect. What a promise. What a promise. So we've got uh, this great truth. Let me, let me just go back and just leave that there for a second. So we've got these great truths. And, and when you think about the Bible, is it trustworthy? You know, we said last Sunday that there are over 300 prophecies dealing with Jesus Christ that are fulfilled. I mean, think of, think of a prophecy that said not one of his bones would be broken. One of the prophecies were they will look on him who they've pierced. One of the prophecies is that they nailed his hands and feet. One of the prophecies is that, uh, uh, you, you know, they will look on him and that kind of thing. Well, those were all prophecies. Well, when Jesus is on the cross, what do they do? They don't break his bones. They pierce him. They divide his clothes. They cast lots for his clothes. They do all of the things that what said was going to happen. And so when we look at the Bible, it is so Perfect. And so you think about the trustworthiness of the Bible. It is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is true. Now, with the time that we have remaining, I, I want you to think about the trustworthiness of the Bible. And I've got five key terms dealing with God's Word that you need to know. And we'll go into much detail you want, or we'll go into little detail as you want. But I want you to see, first of all, there are five key terms that we need to understand. Here is the first word, okay? The first one is revelation. I'm going to erase this because revelation is God making himself known. 
God making himself known. Revelation is God revealing himself. That's what it is. And we already saw that he revealed himself through the world. We've already seen he revealed himself through the scripture. We've already seen that he revealed himself through, the, through, through Jesus Christ. But there are all kind of other aspects or ways that God has revealed himself. Think about it. Through creation, through angels, through the burning bush, through visions, through Jesus, through prophets. I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, there were dreams. You know, I, I, it always amazed me because when, especially at Christmas time, you always do the story of, you know, Mary and Joseph and the baby. And you highlight Joseph for a little bit. And, of course, when we studied the gospel, you know, the book of Matthew, you, you really saw Joseph at the first. But, you know, the, Joseph never says a word in the Bible. He never says a word. He never speaks. There's never Joseph saying, let's go over here. There's nothing like that. In fact, everything that Joseph knows, it says, God in a dream told Joseph. Four different times, God in a dream tells Joseph something. Now, so God revealed in visions, a vision is when you're awake, a dream is when you're asleep. There are people, Peter went on top of a, on top of a, of a house and he was uh, waiting for, for, for a meal. And all of a sudden he went into a, he had a vision. He went into a trance, he went into a vision and he saw this big thing come down and told him some stuff. But so sometimes God reveals himself through visions. And Moses, of course, out in the wilderness, he looked over and he saw the burning bush, which was not unusual. Because sometimes in the middle of the deep parts of the desert, things just catch on fire because it's so hot. But what was unusual is, do you remember what he said? What made it unusual? Not that it was a burning bush, but what? The bush wasn't being burned up. It was just kept burning. He said, that is unusual that a bush is burning, but is not burning up. I think I'll go over there and see what's going on. That's what he said. And so you see that God does all kind of things. He uses prophets. He uses angels to give messages. I always think of Daniel, and Daniel's there, and this angel shows up and gives him information, especially Daniel chapter 9. And, and, and so there are all kind of ways. Now, let me just throw something out. A lot of people say, was God doing all these ways today? Well, I think that there's an aspect of when God gave us the completed revelation. We have the more sure word of prophecy and uh, so I, I, I don't have to worry about this changing, but I might have a, a dream that might be. I had, I had a person come to me one time, and they said, uh, Jesus appeared to me last night. I said, really? Wow. I said, what did he say? I said, first of all, what did he look like? And the person said, look just like his picture. I said, okay, well, good. <laughs> and I said, well, what did they say? He, he told me I should be witnessing. I said, well, didn't he already tell you that? Why did he have to come to you in a dream and tell you to be witnessing when he's already told you all throughout the book? So sometimes, I'm not saying God can't do those things. He can do anything he wants to do. But it seems to me that the revelation, we're going to talk more about it in a second with the Bible, is really the key. So he has revealed himself in a lot of different ways. I loved Prof. Hendricks. He used to say, God has spoken and he's not stuttered. It's true. You know, oh, the depths, the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his ways past finding out. We have revelation from God, which is just beyond us. It's so amazing. Isaiah says, his ways are not our ways as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are his ways from ours. So the first key word that I want you to see is revelation is God making himself known. Now here's the second. And the second word is inspiration. So you can write that down. And this is God... Making himself known in written form. Written form is the Bible. 
This is inspiration. That's why you'll hear people, uh, you'll read the verses, they'll say, all Scripture is inspired by God, which means it's God-breathed. And we'll talk more about this. This is God making Himself known in written form. Now, so God can reveal Himself, but He's revealed Himself. This is inspiration. Oh, I forgot to write inspiration. Inspiration is God making Himself known in a written form. You have the inspired Word of God. You have it. Uh, you know, and many of us have like a lot of copies of it. You know, I think of some places in the world where you don't, you can't even get a copy. You can't get, you might get some of it. And, and then we have, we have so, like, I mean, there's no telling me Bibles I have. If I started rounding them all up, the ones at my house, the one in my office, the ones at the library, the one, I mean, there's no telling me library, uh, Bibles I have. And, uh, let me just say one thing. Uh, one, of the, one of the missions that we support is Gideon's. Y'all know that, right? One of the reasons we want to support them is every penny that is given to Gideon's goes strictly to Bibles, every penny. You know, a lot of mission organizations, nothing wrong with this, a lot of mission organizations, you give money to the mission organization, and it goes for this, and it goes for this, and it goes for this, and then it goes to the mission. Gideons, all the Gideons do every, pay for everything themselves. If they go to speak, if they do this, if they get the Bibles, they hand out the Bibles, they do all So every penny you give to Gideons goes directly to the Bible, and it goes all over the world. So inspiration is God making himself known in a written form, which is the Bible. And inspiration literally means God breathed. It's like God breathed through people like Peter and Paul and James. And as they wrote, God breathed his message through them. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. There are two keys, I think, to inspiration. The first one is this. The writers of the scriptures were inspired by God. That means when Paul and Peter and James and John and Matthew and Luke and whoever wrote First and Second Samuel and Moses who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that means the writers, the writers themselves were inspired by God. That means they were God-breathed. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture was one's own interpretation. In other words, nobody decided to do it themselves. No prophecy was an act of human will, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. That's God-breathed. So when Paul wrote, when Peter wrote, when James wrote, they're writing information from God, and they're inspired, meaning it is God-breathed through them. That's so incredible when you think about it. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Peter wrote two. I mean, you think about John who wrote five. That, that God took those people and breathed through them a message. And so they were inspired by God in that sense. And that's, that's what we're talking about. So no scripture is somebody's own idea. There's a second thing. And that is that the writings themselves were inspired. That's why we call it the inspired word of God, the writings themselves, and that's why Second Timothy says all Scripture is what anybody know? God breathed, inspired. That's it right there, and that's that's the Scriptures. So when you talk about this book, and I mean I've had people, oh, I have to tell you this. There was a there was a pastor in town that uh, I got to know some years ago. He's I think he's moved away now. And he didn't believe the Bible. And he, he believed the Bible was just written by people. And he actually sort of made fun. And uh, I was doing a wedding, and he was going to have a part in the wedding. And uh, so 
when I saw him, he looked at me and said, oh, there's JB with his inspired word of God. And he started laughing. And I said, well, it really is. And he, 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 would, he would tell his congregation, is the Bible is a good book, but it has errors in it. It's written by men. And it's, you know, it, it's got good things in it, but it's not always accurate. You and I would say, no, no, no. no. The writers themselves were inspired by God, and the writings, the, the writings inspired by God. You hold in your hand a perfect book. Now, we go back to the original autographs. There's no errors there. They could be in copies and translations, and that's why you see that it's really hard to take something from Hebrew and put it in English and something in Greek and put it into English. Things don't always match over exactly perfect. That's why I love Greek. Greek is so exact that there are at least four or five words for love. And we say, I love you, but in Greek, they could have said a different word, and you'd have known immediately what kind of love it was. In English, you don't, you don't really know. And, and uh, so there, there's just all kind of things like that. And so what you've taken is this exact language, Greek, and you put it into English. So it's still perfect, and it's still the Word of God, but it, it sometimes it, there's nuances and things that we don't get. That's why I think it's so important that if a person's going to be in ministry, like a pastor or something, they need to know the original languages if they can, especially. Greek. Uh, I think they got to do that. So we, you got the Bible. Think about this. Isn't it amazing? I mean, have you, have you read it? And sometimes you go, wow, I, I've never seen that before. I never thought about that before. Uh, I've never seen that. It's alive and powerful and sharpening to his sword. I've got here some three theories of inspiration. These are the ways some people think that we got the Bible. There's one that is called dictation, and that the author sort of went into a trance and just wrote without thinking. It would be like saying Paul would be sitting in a tent somewhere, and he would just something would come over him, and he would just start writing. And when he got through, he'd say, "Oh, I just wrote the letter to the Galatians." You see what I mean? That's called the dictation theory, and that's as if people were just kind of like there, and God wrote through them. Okay, I don't hold to that, by the way. That's just a theory. It's called dictation theory. There's another one called the concept theory. And the concept theory is that the ideas are inspired, but not the details. What that means is, you can say that God was sort of there at creation, but maybe not. And you could say that there was Abraham, but we don't know really what happened with Isaac and Jacob. And, and when it said uh, 5,000 men were killed... That could be wrong. I mean, there was a battle and a bunch of people were killed, but we don't know if it's 5,000. And when it says that uh, he will uh, rule and reign for a 1,000 years, um, we don't know if it's a 1,000. We don't even know if that's accurate or not. We, uh, you know, that's what some people... So the concept is the ideas are inspired. There's a God, there's something. But there's the details, they could be, they could be error, okay? I don't hold to that view either, by the way, Okay. That's a, and then there's a third view, and that's called what we call verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal means every word, and plenary means the whole. So we would say every word and every aspect is inspired by good, by God. So every book and every word is inspired by God. This is what I call the correct theory, okay? Because I may ask you on the quiz, give some different theories of, of inspiration, 
And I definitely want you to write the right one in there, okay? Verbal plenary inspiration, which means every word in every aspect. So when you're reading the Bible, you don't have to doubt it. When it says John was there during the Feast of Tabernacles, you know that John was there during the Feast of Tabernacles. You know when it says that uh, he will rule for a thousand years, he's going to rule for a thousand years. Now, let me just say this. There are a lot of people that... When they look at the Bible, they don't look at it exactly like we do. We look at it what we call historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But uh, this is um, inspiration, uh, how we got the Bible. And I believe I hold to the verbal plenary inspiration. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I tell you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to erase this for a second. In Hebrew, when Jesus was talking, Hebrew goes this way. In Greek goes this way. Greek is a Western language, so it writes this way. Hebrew is the Eastern language. It goes back this way. This is HSD. In Hebrew, there is a little... This is a letter, and that's what it looks like. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, in the Bible, even the smallest letter will come to pass. He's saying everything it is written down is exactly right. Okay? So, he has given it to us. There's a third key word that we need to know, and that is the word illumination. Illumination is the ministry of the Holy Spirit which helps us understand the Scripture. That's what it is. Illumination is the Holy Spirit helping us to be able to put together the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and then you go, wow, Wow, this, that's the first... Now, wait a minute. That matches this over here. That's the first time I've ever seen that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been reading the Scripture and it's something like, something like you've seen it for the first time, even though you may have read that a bunch of times? It's the Holy Spirit helping you to illuminate or helping you to understand the Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said to his men. He says, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them all now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he'll guide you in all truth. He will disclose to you what is to come. He goes on later and says, He will glorify me, He'll take of mine, and He'll disclose it to you. And then in John sixteen fifteen, He says, uh, The Spirit will come and disclose it to you. That means the Holy Spirit, first of all, took His disciple guys, and He used them to write down the Bible. Okay? And then the Holy Spirit's job is to help us to illuminate this. And that means you've got to be in fellowship when you're studying the Bible. You've got to be in fellowship because the Holy Spirit's inside you. And if you're in fellowship with God, as you study the Bible, He helps illuminate the Scripture. He helps illuminate and put together the truths of the Bible. Listen, uh, there, are, there are brilliant people who, who can study the Bible, who are not Christians, who can study the Bible, but they won't grasp it and completely understand it. They can't. Let me show you why. Because the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The Holy Spirit appraises them, puts them together. And so an unbeliever, the unbeliever can read the Bible and see things there, but they'll never grasp the spiritual truths. They'll never grasp the deeper parts of the Bible because the Holy Spirit is there revealing it. That's what his plan is. So it's really, really powerful. The fourth word is the word inerrancy. And that means without error. We've been talking about that, that the Bible is without error. The Word of God is perfect in the written form. Now let me just say this. 
the original letters, no errors whatsoever. There could be copies of the letters that throughout history that maybe something is wrong there or something got left out. But as a whole, we have so many copies of the Bible, so much aspect, and we're going to talk about that when we get all to lesson four or five on how we got our Bible and how things fit together. But the Bible is without error, and you can trust it, and you can study it, and you can know it. Any questions, anything on this? we got one more. And this, the other third, third term is authority. God is the authority. His word is the basis for our faith. I want you to think about that. People say, what does your church believe about this? Or how do you all do this? Let me tell you how we do it. We go back to what? We go back to the scripture. Every belief of this church, best that we can tell, goes back to what we think the Bible has to say. How we function as a church goes back to the scripture. And so it is the authority. The Bible is the authority for our life. The Bible is the authority for all that we do. We go to the Word of God to understand the truths and the commands and the principles so that we can live by the Word of God. The authority is not what most people think. The authority is not what a group of people think. The authority is the Word of God. And so in this church, we have elders and deacons and everything. But truthfully, the elders and deacons, they have different roles and responsibilities. But the authority ultimately goes back to the Word of God. What does the Bible actually say? I can remember when I was in a church, this is years ago, and the church was a Baptist church, and they had, they had deacons. And as we studied, as we were talking, I said, well, you know, biblically we ought to have elders and deacons. And they go, really? And so I said, well, let's, let's study. And so we studied First Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 gives the role of the elders and the role of the deacons and how they're rolling. And the people in the church said, well, we don't have elders. I said, well, you probably should, don't you think? And they went, well, that's what the Bible says. I said, yeah, so we got elders. We, we got elders. And see, so some people, when you think about it, what's the authority for whether you have elders or deacons or how you meet or how, how you do certain things? It goes back to the authority is the word of God. Now, let me show you something. There are three ways that people deal with the authority of the Bible. First of all, they limit the authority of the Bible. And how do they do that? They say that the Bible is a what? It's a good book. It's a good book. But it's not, it's not the inspired Word of God. It's, and so they limit its authority. They say the Bible... How many of y'all have anybody ever said to you, well, that, that's just something they believed in that time? Or that's just something that... That, that, that was, uh, you know, something that they held to, but we don't hold to that anymore. So the, Bible, the Bible's wrong there. See, they limit its authority. The second thing, the second way that you can do it is to add to the authority. And that's where you find cults, like the Mormons, who have the Book of Mormon and uh, Pearl of Great Price, and this, or where you find uh, somebody else that's got, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have the Watchtower, and you got Mary Baker Eddy and the Christian Science have all their little books. And what you find is that people deal with the authority because what they actually do is they limit it or they add to it by adding other books and saying they're the same as the Bible, and they're not. They're not. So what's the third thing? The third thing is this, and that is accepted as the authoritative word of God. It is God's word is the final authority. So don't limit its authority by saying it's a good book. Don't add to its authority by adding other books to it and trying to say they're on equal par with it. We realize that the Bible is God's perfect word. And that's what we see. So do you have, did you all get that written down? Let me give everybody time to write it down. So I, when I think about the Bible, y'all, I mean, think about these five things. 
that, you know, you know, revelation and inspiration and illumination and inerrancy and authority. Those are key words that you should know. You should know what inspiration is and what revelation is and what illumination is and what does it mean that something's inerrant and how about the authority. And so as we begin, the summary of our lesson is that God's word is from God to man making known God's plan of salvation, the whole idea of reconciliation, and giving us truths and principles so that we can live our lives as his representatives. That's, that's, that's kind of a big summary of what we're looked at tonight, but I want you to see that. We've just, just begun. Um, we've got a number of lessons to go. There's so much there. Let me remind you uh, for the quiz coming up. Here are the verses. Now, one's a, they're a little bit long, and, and so these are a little bit harder. Some verses are not as long, but this, this is 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It's so vital. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You can memorize these verses. Let me say this to you. I memorize a lot of verses, and I'm old. I mean, you know, don't say I'm too old to memorize. You're not. You can remember anything. You're, you're smart. You're smarter than I am. You can remember. Ezra said it's hard to purpose. You know, to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and teach the statutes and ordinances in all Israel. You can know this, and so it will be a great challenge to you in these weeks to come if you will memorize the verses. You'll put God's word in your mind. Remember, it is God's revelation. It is inspired. It, God's Holy Spirit will illuminate it. It is an errand. It is authoritative. And you need to know it. And so that one, and then of course those two verses, uh, you, should, you should know them. And, and they're not hard. Because just remember, study, apply, and teach. Ezra said his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in all Israel. So uh, you'll have a quiz, and the quiz will have uh, one of the questions. In fact, I have the quiz right here. And the last question is right out the following scripture verses. And it's Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 and Ezra 17. I have the quiz, but I want to show you something I, I, that's on the slides that might help you. Here's some things that you need to know, okay? First of all, know the two major divisions of the Bible. What are they? Old Testament and? That's not hard, right? I mean, I think you know that, right? Okay? How about this one? What's the central theme of the Bible? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. How about be able to match the five key statements about the Messiah to the Scriptures? What's the first one? Genesis 3.15, seed of woman. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, seed of... Abraham, Second Samuel, seven twelve through seventeen, seed of David or son of David, and then uh, what? Uh, Luke one thirty one through thirty three, the seed of Mary, and then you could do Matthew three, or you can do uh, John one twenty nine, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Listen, if most people have never heard those five things, if you sat down with somebody and said, "Let me show you how the Bible brings uh, how God." told about the coming Messiah. And they'll sit there and you can say, it started with Eve and it went to Abraham and it went to David and it went to Mary and then John announced it. Some people, you talk to that, they'll, they'll go, I've never seen this in my life. Because nobody's ever taught them how to put the Bible together. You now have the flow of the, the Messiah the match the five key statements. Also, know the definitions of the five key terms. What are the terms? What's the first one? What's Revelation? What is it? God making himself what? No. no. What's inspiration? 
Self known in written form. What's illumination? It, okay, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and helping us to understand the Scripture. What's inerrancy? It, it's without error. The Bible is perfect. What is authority? It, it's the Bible. It's the God breathed. It's His Word. Uh, let me just look through this see if there's any... I think I've got I've got every question already. Yeah, that, all, that, that, if you know that, I don't. Is there another one? Yeah. Oh, know the way God has revealed Himself to man. How does God reveal Himself to man? The big three. What are they? Uh, the cre- through the creation of the world, through the Word, the Bible, and through the Son Jesus Christ. So there they are. You, you've got it all right there. All right. Questions, comments, anything. We got about one minute. Let me see what's there. There it is. So here we are. The things you've heard from me <laughs> in the presence of many witnesses, you take these things, you entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others. So in reality, the things that we're getting taught, the things that we've been taught in our lives, the truths from the Bible, I mean, even, think about this. How many people do you know know what revelation and inspiration is? How many people do you know know the flow I mean, you know, think about all those questions. And it may surprise you. A lot of people don't know how to divide the Bible at all. If you said to them, how do you divide the Bible? They don't know. And if you said how many books are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how many books are in the Bible, a lot of people don't know. In fact, they did a study the other day, and uh, people, about 60% of the people they asked, just on the street, could not name the four Gospels. They did not know who gave the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, we used to know the Bible. Our culture knew the Bible. Our culture does not know the Bible now. So when you know these things, you, you are ready to help communicate to other people the truths from the Scripture, and these truths will change their lives forever. Okay, let's pray, and then if you've got questions, comments, anything, just talk, just talk to me. Hell, Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you, Lord, for the 2-2 and how fun it is to study it. And Lord, when we think about the Bible, how perfect your word is and the Old Testament and the New Testament and the message of Jesus Christ, how, how you bring man to yourself through Jesus. And we saw the flow from, from the seed of woman to the seed of Abraham to the son of David to the son of Mary and even to John the Baptist and the Lamb of God. And thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us through the Bible and through the creation and through Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we understand the Bible and know that the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture and that it is perfect and inerrant and it is the authority for our lives. And so, Lord, as we begin our study, may we be excited about these truths from the Bible as we get this foundation of being ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, don't forget, um, try to be here as close to 6.30 as possible and we'll hand out the quiz. And I really would love... For a lot of you to take it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, anything else?